From the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network studios in Des Moines, this is Iowa Ag Matters. I'm Riley Smith. In today's show, Mark wraps up his chat with National Pork Board Chief Veterinarian Dusty Odekoven. I talk with Food Bank of Iowa CEO Michelle Book, and we talk about the rising grocery prices. Now here are your hosts for today, Mark Magnuson and Dustin Huffman. Well, good day and welcome to another episode of Iowa Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Huffman and joined today by Mark Magnuson. He's stepping in as we uh, talk today as uh, Andy is out uh, doing career day with some school kids out in the area. So glad that he's getting out there and talking with the kids and uh, definitely uh, another fun packed day we've got for everybody on Iowa Ag Matters today, Mark. It is, Dustin, but at the same time, I kind of feel like I'm back in school and I'm looking outside at the end of the year and I see how nice it is outside and I just want to go outside and enjoy it. Yeah, I don't blame you. But the problem is we get that pesky wind advisory. It, it Very just true. Seems like it wouldn't be spring or fall in Iowa. It's like, oh, we've got the perfect day and you've also got 50 mile an hour winds. Yep, uh, that's the way it goes. You know, it is. And and that was one thing it took me forever to to get used to when I first moved here was the amount of wind. Uh, that we had that we have here in Iowa is like constantly windy and I used to always say I thought that Iowa was an old native word meaning it's too windy outside you know but, what I'm glad to hear you say that because I agree I've always been fascinated by how windy Iowa is oh yeah definitely speaking of windy you've got a chance to talk with the folks at uh shouldn't say they're windy uh that uh, Eric there at uh, Comstock Investments talking to us today about What's going on in those grain markets? Joined today by Eric Rolf of Comstock for our opening market discussion. Eric, what are we seeing taking place in the grains today? Well, you've got row crops higher, not not by a lot, but row crops higher with wheat lower. Uh, today's going to be all about preparation for the 11 o'clock uh, USDA reports, both the crop production and WASDE reports. Primary focus will be on the WASDE as we're looking at those world numbers. Any major surprise is likely to come from production numbers in South America, with Brazil being the primary focus, of course. Uh, but we did get export sales this morning at 7.30. Impressive for corn, kind of the top end of expectations there. Soybeans, a bit of a disappointment, didn't even meet the low end of expectations. Wheat were just somewhere in the middle. So kind of a mixed bag on the export sales this morning with beans continuing to lag uh, expectation and recent year pace. So so do those export sales, how they look this morning, surprise you at all one way or the other? I was a bit surprised that we were clear at the top end in corn with no major uh, daily sales throughout that reporting period. So, you know, if you had seen half a million metric tons of, of worth of daily flash sales, then you see a 1.2, what was it, 1.22 million metric ton, not so much of a surprise. But where you didn't see that, it, you know, to, to see that kind of a number in corn was a bit surprising. Soybeans didn't surprise me. We know we haven't been selling them, and, and we've been kind of on that trajectory for a while, so I guess I wasn't too shocked there. Uh, we Globally, we're not overly competitive, but regionally we are. So you start to see some of that going on uh, and really trade relation maintained uh, between Mexico and the U.S. is one of the biggest ones. And then South Korea as well was a big buyer. So uh, <clears throat> some of the usual suspects there, the biggest surprise, I think, was the corn, though. And Eric, you already mentioned it, but the WASDE report today, and we know not necessarily as much of a big report in terms of what it can do to the marketplace or kind of just overall sentiment compared to January. But here today, we are expecting to see some cuts to South American production. The question is, how much? And man, those guesses just all over the place right now, aren't they? All over the board. And and you've got private estimates anywhere from, you know, when you're talking about Brazil soybean production, anywhere from 
145 to 153. Conab uh, a little higher than that yet. USDA quite a bit higher the last report. So th there's definitely room for surprise there and, and a necessary adjustment, I believe. You know, we, we just had uh, our Comstock hosted the Brazil tour. Matthew Cruz does that. And they just finished that up and they talked to some large producers throughout Brazil and particularly in the state of Mato Grosso where you have these 30 to 50,000 acre farms and they're looking at major reductions in yield and, and prices aren't all that attractive either. So it, it's definitely a change down there compared to what we've seen for the last few years and we may not see the kind of uh, row crop expansion that we've seen in recent years as well as a result. That again was Eric Ralph of Comstock Investments. We'll hear more from him coming up later on in the program. Right now, Andy Peterson stopped by to give us his three big Iowa Ag Matters. Number three. Hoping for progress on right to repair is the Farm Action Group asking the FTC to intervene. According to Joe Maxwell, co-founder and chief strategy officer. We're a farmer-led organization. Far too often we've seen John Deere and the other major agriculture equipment manufacturers consolidate their dealerships. And today many farmers have to travel hours to get to a dealership. Our equipment breaks down in the field, sometimes just because of an error on a sensor. And we don't have the ability, or that farmer doesn't have the ability to to repair that equipment without contacting that dealer miles and miles away and oftentimes they have a backlog and our equipment is down for days sometimes weeks sometimes we have to haul it in simply to have them hook it up to a computer and find that a sensor malfunction that is a delay in the field that costs money time that sometimes we farmers just don't have he says a delay on a quick fix for broken down machinery makes an already stressful occupation even worse and as the FTC has the authority and responsibility to regulate the issue. Number two. Expanding E15 availability with a record $3.4 million in quarterly biofuels grants. That's the news out from the Iowa Renewable Fuels Infrastructure Program Board, who approved 74 project applications totaling more than $3.4 million in cost share funding for Iowa fuel retailers during their quarterly board meeting this past week. Number one. The value of our products to the vast majority of the world on full display again this weekend as the centerpiece around Super Bowl parties and the number one entree, of course, chicken wings. According to Tom Super, communications lead at the National Chicken Council. We are projecting Americans will devour about 1.45 billion chicken wings this weekend for Super Bowl 58. That is a billion with a B. Now he says compared to last year, consumption is expected to be flat and consumers definitely have a preference of boneless wings. I'm Edie Peterson. Those are your three big Iowa Ag Matters. You might think Iowa just grows corn, but the truth is corn grows Iowa. Hi, I'm Stu Swanson, a farmer from Galt, Iowa, and the first vice president of the Iowa Corn Growers Association. Whether you're planting, harvesting, or anywhere in between, as a member of the Iowa Corn Growers Association, you're also actively advocating for our industry. As an ICGA member, you have a voice lobbying on ag issues at the state and federal levels on priorities that impact your farm. Join us today at iowacorn.org join. Coming up on Iowa Ag Matters, Dustin and I will talk about some of the sticker shock that consumers have been dealing with at the grocery store and what to expect going forward here on Iowa Ag Matters. 
Well, back here on Iowa Ag Matters, as Mark hinted to at the end of last segment, uh, food prices are something we've been watching quite a bit. I mean, you don't have to go very far in any grocery store around the state and and see that prices are a little bit higher. And, you know, people make the jokes that you used to be able to get a cart full of groceries for 150 bucks. Now you're lucky if you can get into a second bag for 150 bucks. But, Mark, while that is an exaggeration, it does feel like those uh, pennies are getting pinched a little tighter here when we're out there spending our food dollars. They certainly are, Dustin, and I think anyone can, uh, you know, sympathize with that that's been to the grocery store and done the shopping because we've all seen those prices rise for the most part, especially when you look at some of the products, you know, we can point to the specific reason. And that's why this is important to know some of the reasons why these things are happening when it comes to the case of like eggs, for example. Of course, we know avian influenza is the driving factor in boosting those prices up. It's not necessarily some of those other things that are happening, but it is interesting because going forward, it doesn't look like in the immediate term, we're going to get much relief at the grocery store, does it? No, it doesn't. I know you had uh, talked yesterday uh, about the Farm Bureau and, you know, the they're talking about the fact that the, the trend is still going up for some of these grocery prices. But what's interesting, and this is something you and I have talked, and I know Riley's talked about with with the market analysts, is that up until just recently, and of course, we got some new data yesterday, but it showed until recently the consumers really weren't cutting their spending too much. And in fact, we were starting to see what could be projected to be a record year for restaurants again. Uh, you know, we talked so much about how food getting made at home was becoming more of the norm after COVID. But now as things have kind of settled back into the normal routines again, people are dining out more. And and we're also seeing a huge spike in the amount of money being spent last year on app orders, um, which was funny. The old $3.9 billion was spent on app orders, uh, Mark. But what was funnier about that, I shouldn't say funny, but interesting about that was of that $3.9 billion, $3 billion of that was going through third-party groups like DoorDash or Instacart or something like that uh, that was seeing it. So a big uptick in third-party delivery systems. And, you know, we're starting to see it more and more often in the stores. Uh, I mean, you can go to the gas station and you see these little iPads now sitting on the counters so that DoorDash orders can get filled when they come in. And they're ordering from gas stations and convenience stores, not just from restaurants and, and, and pizza takeout pizzas. And the interesting thing about that to me is that is then counterintuitive because you would think that going through the grocery store, you're seeing the high prices, you would be trying to save money. But we know with the app delivery services, that's about convenience. You know, you're not necessarily going to save money. At at the very least, you're probably going to spend more. So I, I think if you think about that, then does that tell us something on the good side of where the economy is in general, then that people are willing to spend that extra money when they don't have to? Maybe. But at the same time, we're still seeing those prices up in the store. So I don't really know how to square that away. Well, the one thing I think I remember talking once with Jim McCormick at Ag Market one of the times when I was doing the opening markets. And he had mentioned something about since the pandemic, we're seeing the the millennials, the Gen Zers, they're spending their money on experiences and good quality things rather than the accumulation of objects. You know, so unless gotcha. buying stuff to stand around, they're spending the money to get a good meal or they're spending money on vacations. So they're they're refocusing where those dollars are being spent. So I thought we're going to have to keep an eye on here on Iowa Ag Matters. We'll be back in a moment. In February, we celebrate World Radio Day. Here at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, we feature Iowa-centric programming with content focused on Iowa crop farmers and livestock producers who draw their livelihood from modern production agriculture. Today, the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network offers nine programs per day, anywhere from two and a half to four minutes. 
In addition, the network airs a daily midday program featuring Iowa Ag News and discussions called Iowa Ag Matters. And we also host a long-format weekend radio program called Weekend Ag Matters. The network's content footprint also includes a growing digital presence, including our daily e-newsletter called Ag Matters Daily, our website, which features our daily news stories at iowaagnet.com, along with a daily YouTube ag news program called Ag Matters PM. We are also active on Facebook, X, LinkedIn, and TikTok, and provide free daily market podcasts twice per day. We thank you for supporting the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network as we celebrate World Radio Day in February. Quick note coming up in today's episode of Ag Matters PM, we will have April Hemis as our guest with the Iowa Soybean Association in the latest Between the Pods. And coming up here in segment number three, we have the latest cash prices from around the state. It's the basis report with Dustin here on Iowa Ag Matters next. Let's run down some of those elevator bids for you here on Iowa Ag Matters for this Thursday morning. I'm Dustin Huffman. We are seeing some dropping in some of the corn bids, a lot more in the bean bids today as yesterday the corn started off the downside. Let's take a look at where things are here right now. Starting at ADM Burlington, they're 16 cents under on corn. They're at 418. Soybeans, 12 cents under at 1181. Cargill and Eddyville, 3 cents under on corn. Cash bid, 431. New Co-op Belgona, a dime under on corn, 424. Soybeans, 55 cents under. Cash bid, 1138. Ag State Sheldon, a dime over on corn. They're at 444. Soybeans, 72 cents under at 1121. Ag State Elta, a dime under on corn. They're at 424. Soybeans, 62 cents under at 1131. At Cargill Cedar Rapids, they're even today on corn. Cash bid, 434. Soybeans, 15 cents under at 1178. Nexus Co-op Marble Rock, 8 cents under on corn, 426. Soybeans, 52 cents under at 1141. Lincoln Way Ethanol Nevada, two cents over on their corn at 436. ADM Des Moines, 12 cents under on soybeans, cash bid 1181. New Co op Red Oak, a dime under on corn, they're at 424. Soybeans, 50 cents under at 1143. Mid Iowa Cooperative Green Mountain, 24 cents under at 410. Soybeans, 50 cents under, they're at 1143. New Co op Sheraton, 20 cents under on corn, 414. Soybeans, 55 cents under, cash bid 1138. Walk on Feed Ranch, 17 cents under on corn, 417. Soybeans, 61 cents under at 1132. New Co op Glidden, a dime under on corn, cash bid 424. Soybeans, 50 cents under at 1143. Innovative Ag Services Farley, 15 cents under on corn, 419. Soybeans, 52 cents under, cash bid 1141. And at Cargill Muscatine, they are closed for the season. The terminal reopened for business on April the 1st. The office is still up and running as usual. Cash corn and soybean bids are subject to change without notice. Always check with your local elevator when making sales to obtain the most recent price. And that's a check of your basis numbers here on Iowa Ag Matters. Locally led, locally relevant, locally driven. Mark your calendars this February to join the Iowa Soybean Association at a 2024 Innovation to Profit meeting in your area. With meetings in Storm Lake, Waterloo, Fairfield, and Lewis, this is an opportunity to engage with fellow farmers and learn about research opportunities to boost your profitability, productivity, and sustainability. A new year brings new opportunities. Take advantage of them today by registering at iasoybeans.com. This message is brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and funded by the Soybean Checkoff and the United Soybean Board. We still have more market information coming your way here on Iowa Ag Matters, including a complete rundown of the midday numbers coming up very soon. Also, don't forget about the free market podcast through Google, Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and Podbean from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network or online at iowaagnet.com. More Iowa Ag Matters right after this. 
Well, of course, we all like to follow what's being done to give back to our communities, especially those in need. And the Iowa Food Bank always been a great resource for those who need help. And they got a big donation here yesterday. The Utah Farm Bureau, along with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, came down and they uh, brought in a big food donation. And Riley Smith had a chance to talk with them there. Quite the donation from the Utah Farm Bureau and as well as the uh, Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. Um, Michelle, tell us a little bit about this donation and kind of how it came to be. Well, uh, from what I understand, the Iowa Farm Bureau made a trip out to visit the Utah Farm Bureau and toured farms and facilities there, uh, met representatives from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as well as they were out there touring high-quality farm operations. So when this truckload of food became available and uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the Utah Farm Bureau reached out to Iowa saying, who could benefit from this from this wonderful gift, uh, the Iowa Farm Bureau identified Food Bank of Iowa. So uh, I'd say it's our lucky day. Yeah, Michelle, we know we've talked a lot lately about how, you know, the demand for food security and uh, food donations is higher than ever. And uh, it's not just, you know, certain things that you want. You want a variety of things as well. And there's quite the variety of uh, food items in this uh, uh, donation. So, you know, just to have that in this time of need is obviously, you know, what a gift, like you mentioned. Well, it's extraordinary. All of these products, uh, they were grown by that Church of Latter-day Saints. They were processed by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They were trucked here by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. From seed to stomach is, is what our good friend um, just shared with us. But it's 3,000 boxes containing 21 pounds of food. That's 63,000 pounds of food arrived in Iowa from Utah, grown across the United States, providing 48,000 meals. Each box is designed to provide one family of four with four days worth of food. And, and look at this. It's beautiful, nutritious food. These are things that I would buy at the grocery store, take home to feed my family. Um, I'm looking at the peanut butter and the jelly. A five-year-old can make a peanut butter jelly sandwich, or a 95-year-old can make their own peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So, And what's especially thoughtful, they sent a can opener. Every box has a can opener. So if that happens to be a hurdle, uh, for a family in order to be able to enjoy this food, the can is included. Now, Michelle, we're, of course, we're used to seeing uh, food donations from across Iowa, across the Midwest, for a donation to come all the way from Utah. I mean, you mentioned uh, earlier, you know, a, a, quite a lucky day, right? Well, this was extraordinary, and these things are produced across the United States by farmers, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint farmers, processed, grown and processed, um, they found their way to Iowa from many locations in the United States under this umbrella of the Miracle Foundation, which I think is just extraordinary that Utah has put together an organization like that, and they share their bounty, not just in Utah and not just with church members, but with all of humanity. They're sharing their love with us in Iowa to make sure that Iowans struggling to meet basic needs can put food on their table at night. The kids going to school can go with a full belly. They can face a summer morning with food in their tummy. Seniors don't have to choose between medicine, heat, or food. 
They're helping us ensure that Iowans have enough. That is the CEO of the Food Bank of Iowa, Riley, getting a chance to stop by for that donation. And just down the street, and I know Riley always likes to visit with the folks there, so thank you for the time from the Food Bank. It's time now for the three big Iowa Ag Matters. Number three. Hoping for progress on right to repair is the Farm Action Group asking the FTC to intervene. According to Joe Maxwell, co-founder and chief strategy officer. We're a farmer-led organization. Far too often we've seen John Deere and the other major agriculture equipment manufacturers consolidate their dealerships. And today many farmers have to travel hours to get to a dealership. Our equipment breaks down in the field, sometimes just because of an error on a sensor. And we don't have the ability or that farmer doesn't have the ability to actually to repair that equipment without contacting that dealer miles and miles away and oftentimes they have a backlog and our equipment is down for days sometimes weeks sometimes we have to haul it in simply to have them hook it up to a computer and find that a sensor malfunction that is a delay in the field that costs money time that sometimes we farmers just don't have he says a delay on a quick fix for broken down machinery makes an already stressful occupation even worse and as the ftc has the authority and responsibility to regulate the issue number two Expanding E15 availability with a record $3.4 million in quarterly biofuels grants. That's the news out from the Iowa Renewable Fuels Infrastructure Program Board, who approved 74 project applications totaling more than $3.4 million in cost share funding for Iowa fuel retailers during their quarterly board meeting this past week. Number one. The value of our products to the vast majority of the world on full display again this weekend as the centerpiece around Super Bowl parties and the number one entree, of course, chicken wings. According to Tom Super, communications lead at the National Chicken Council. We are projecting Americans will devour about 1.45 billion chicken wings this weekend for Super Bowl 58. That is a billion with a B. Now he says compared to last year, consumption is expected to be flat and consumers definitely have a preference of boneless wings. I'm Andy Peterson. Those are your three big Iowa Ag Matters. Locally led, locally relevant, locally driven. Mark your calendars this February to join the Iowa Soybean Association at a 2024 Innovation to Profit meeting in your area. With meetings in Storm Lake, Waterloo, Fairfield, and Lewis, this is an opportunity to engage with fellow farmers and learn about research opportunities to boost your profitability, productivity, and sustainability. A new year brings new opportunities. Take advantage of them today by registering at iasoybeans.com. This message is brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and funded by the Soybean Checkoff and the United Soybean Board. Coming up next year on Iowa Ag Matters, we have the middays and, of course, a lot going on today, including the WASD report for February. And, Dustin, I don't know how many times we say it, but we say it a lot. The January report, very important for those year-end numbers. The February report, down a little bit in the pecking order, but it is still important. Obviously, we learn a lot of information today. Yep, that is true. We always do, and it's going to be interesting to see what they come up with. I know eyes are focused on whether or not there's adjustments made to South American numbers, and Again, until they get their grain in the bin, it's all just speculation. But, yep, Mark, you and your cohorts, you'll have a check of that market information, lives of talk, and grain all coming up next on Iowa Ag Matters. This is the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network.
This is the Midday Market Update on Iowa Ag Matters. I'm Mark Magnuson. Corn is trading lower today, but has come off of its earlier morning lows significantly. March corn made a new low this morning at 432 and three quarters. Tomorrow, the USDA will release its WASD report, and that is expected to lower Brazilian corn production by 3 million metric tons to 124.3 million metric tons. And Argentinian production is expected to be unchanged. Brazil is now over 20% planted with their Safrina corn crop, which is about to double their pace from last year. Rainy conditions have been favorable. Argentina's weather has been hot and dry recently, which may put a dent in their overall corn production, but rains are forecast to begin in the country later this week. Soybeans trading lower today along with corn, but have also come significantly off of their earlier morning lows, which saw the March contract take out Monday's low. Soybean meal is trading lower again today, while soybean oil is higher. Crush margins have narrowed, but remain profitable and have generated good domestic demand. For tomorrow's WASD report, analysts are expecting Brazilian production to be lowered from the previous guess of 157 million metric tons to 153. Most analysts expect the true number to be between 145 and 150 million metric tons. That's the latest on the grains. Here's Andy Peterson with more livestock news. Yep, livestock number time here on Iowa Ag Matters. Beef-wise is where we begin daily estimated slaughter totals. Coming in at 125,000 head, that's 2,000 less than a week ago. Same as a year ago, boxes are stronger here at midday. 63 loads of choice cuts selling two ninety four oh seven fifty nine cents stronger. Select up 83 284 on 22 loads of movement, and that spread remains under $10 at $9.47. Now, as far as hogs go, daily estimated slaughter total numbers coming in at 492,000. Had same as a week ago and uh, 18,000 higher than a year ago. Cash market-wise, let's wrap up yesterday's numbers here. For comparison purposes, barrels and gilts producers sold on a carcass basis negotiated purchase-wise. We saw a fairly decent run at 3,800 head. The weighted average price sharply higher up 458, 65.45. What a run in the negotiated purchase market here the past few days. Formula purchases, 154,000 head, so about an average number of sales. Weighted average price, 73.19, so that market was essentially flat. Now, as far as what's happening here at midday today, only 1,790 head of negotiated purchases and no price available due to packer confidentiality issues. And 102,000 head of formula purchases, market up 50 cents to 73.74. In February, we celebrate World Radio Day. Here at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, we feature Iowa-centric programming with content focused on Iowa crop farmers and livestock producers who draw their livelihood from modern production agriculture. Today, the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network offers nine programs per day, anywhere from two and a half to four minutes. In addition, the network airs a daily midday program featuring Iowa ag news and discussions called Iowa Ag Matters. We thank you for supporting the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network as we celebrate World Radio Day in February. At midday, March corn is down four and a half at 434 and a quarter. March soybeans down 13 and a quarter at 1186 and a quarter. March soybean meal down $6.40 at 352.40. March soybean oil up 25 cents at 46.19. On the Merck, February live cattle down 65 cents at 182.35. March feeder cattle down 35 cents at 246.32. April lean hogs up 87 cents at 82.12. April pork cutout down a dollar ten at eighty nine forty, and class three milk down a penny at sixteen twenty five. This has been a check of the midday markets on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network.
Well, as promised, Eric Ralph from Comstock Investments back with us to talk about what's happening in those livestock markets. Uh, seeing a little bit of a downward action yesterday, all expectations had been afforded to be higher. So interested to see his take on what's been going on in those markets. Mark Magnuson has more. Let's flip over to the other side of the ag marketplace in the livestock complex. What's the latest with the livestock? Well, this week has been very volatile so far. Um, still a well-supported cattle market. Um, you've got feeder cattle cash continuing to impress on big numbers. You know, Joplin comes out Monday with 15,600 head uh, at Joplin Regional Stockyards in Carthage, Missouri. And everything was, uh, we'll, we'll just call it firm. There particularly, the steers were suffering just a little bit, but the heifers were bringing pre- quite a bit more money. And that's typical of, of cow-calf country when you've got some moisture on the ground and expecting some pasture repair to be done. Uh, so then you flip over a couple days later on Wednesday, uh, OKC West in El Reno, Oklahoma, uh, over 11,000 head. Everything was uh, widely $5 higher, uh, some pockets of 10 to $12 higher. So uh, the feeder cattle market looks good. The cash cattle for this week on the Fed side has not started trading yet, but we're expecting somewhere near steady to slightly higher trade. If that surprises and we see, you know, two or three dollar jump in the Fed cattle cash, that'll be a big deal, especially uh, when you consider the fact that we've got carcass weights already being reported 30 pounds lighter than what we were before that blizzard hit the central plains. From the consumer side, we know from the latest cattle inventory report that we have herd numbers lowest since they've been since the 50s. So when you're thinking about uh, consumers shopping at the supermarket going forward, especially into next year, what do you think that kind of looks like? Well, I think this has been a natural progression that we've been seeing for years. You know, I, I made the comment to uh, um, some family members recently, you know, think back 15 years and how many wing restaurants were there. I won't name any names specifically, but, you know, there's been a shift away from beef. And, and I think a lot of it is is price induced. Um, not everyone can afford to eat beef on a regular basis, especially when you're talking about these high choice and prime cuts. So there has been a natural shift away from beef, but not to this extent. And I think this cattle inventory report was just a a minor reflection of what we're going to see moving forward here, maybe for the next six or eight months. Uh, The next cattle inventory report could be a big deal. We're getting reports from clients that are starting to preg check cows, and there are just a lot of open cows out in the countryside. And I think that is going to develop into a bigger story. And, you know, we have fat cattle buyers that are reporting to us the cows just keep coming. So we're still slaughtering cows at an impressive rate, and and we're we're going to start causing some real problems here with the supply side. So uh, the shift away from beef, that's been a natural progression, and probably will be a necessary one if the numbers do what I think they're going to do over the next year or so. Locally led, locally relevant, locally driven. Mark your calendars this February to join the Iowa Soybean Association at a 2024 Innovation to Profit meeting in your area. With meetings in Storm Lake, Waterloo, Fairfield, and Lewis, this is an opportunity to engage with fellow farmers and learn about research opportunities to boost your profitability, productivity, and sustainability. A new year brings new opportunities. Take advantage of them today by registering at iasoybeans.com. This message is brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and funded by the Soybean Checkoff and the United Soybean Board. Coming up on the show, I will be joined by Dusty Otokovin for part two of our conversation. Dusty, of course, is the chief veterinarian with the National Pork Board. And of course, there's always a lot to stay updated on when it comes to foreign animal disease preparedness. And I'm interested to hear what Dusty has to say about some of the conferences, some of the events he's been at, learning about other areas of the world and how they've been able to limit foreign animal disease.
Well, yesterday, Mark got the conversation going with National Pork Board's Chief Veterinarian, Dusty Odekoven, just talking about uh, what's going on in the in the swine industry. And of course, African swine fever has been kind of quiet in the news lately, but still a threat out there and getting that update. Well, here's part two of this conversation that I had during the Pork Congress. Have we learned enough from ASF to be able to apply it to other diseases that threaten us, uh, ways to mitigate the disease? Have we learned from this disease with all the preparedness steps that we've taken and things like you've gone to the conference to learn about this disease kind of from a worldwide perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and every every disease is a little bit different. Uh, African swine fever virus, the, as, as far as the virus goes, is in, a, in a, a family all of its own. So it's quite different from a coronavirus like porcine epidemic diarrhea virus or from the PERS virus or even from influenza viruses, which we deal with in in uh, in swine, but also in other species, and in each of each of those viruses acts and behaves a little bit differently. Um, and there are things that we can apply from uh, from other diseases, such as foot and mouth disease control, uh, to our situation with ASF. But there's some things that are that are different there too. And so that, that was part of this uh, consortium is to bring folks together and learn about you know how what have we learned. One one of the things unique to this virus is uh, in in many parts of Europe and in, uh, in other parts of the globe is when, when it gets into wild, the wild pig population, and, and throughout Europe they call it the wild boar, and they are, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, a cultural, uh, you know, a culturally important animal there. The wild boar is somewhat like our white-tailed deer here. You know, there's a hunting culture around it, and uh, people like to see the wild boar. But when ASF infects the wild boar population, it's really difficult to get to get that cat back in the bag and to to eliminate the virus from that that wild boar population. So then what you have is an, an ongoing source of infection, and where there's interaction between wild boar and domestic pigs, that's where infection can occur. Also, there's uh, the human factor of uh, hu- humans going out and hunting these wild boar, and then uh, coming into contact with contaminated. Uh, uh, tissues and fluids, and then dragging that to a new area, infecting new populations of wild boar. So that that control of the spread through both people and wild boar seems to be one of the keys here. That that is a little bit unique uh, when we look at other uh, diseases that we that we attempt to control. And then finally, Dusty, just thinking about the United States and foreign animal disease preparedness. I know we've been working very vil- very diligently. Are we staying, you know, with that same energy? Has it subsided at all? Are we still, you know, taking this disease as seriously as we need to? Yeah, that's a great question. So are, are we still working towards preparedness and, and where are we at in that effort? Um, I, I would say certainly we, we continue as an industry, the pork industry continues to make great strides towards being better prepared for foreign animal disease. Uh, we know some of the top things we can do are improve our biosecurity on farm, uh, that's something that the industry groups, including Pork Board and, and National Pork Producers Council and, and other partners, including uh, uh, Schick and the U.S. Swine Health Improvement Plan and our, our partners at the American Association of Swine Veterinarians have collaboratively worked together to provide information for producers to be better prepared and, and to improve their biosecurity. Some of the resources that people can find would be uh, at uh, porkcheckoff.org, but also securepork.org. That's where we have the secure pork supply plans. Uh, that, cal- that can help producers prepare for um, uh, to have better biosecurity plans. We also know that traceability is key. We had a, a, a presentation or a panel about that here at the uh, Iowa Pork Congress here yesterday about the status of uh, ongoing review of the uh, traceability standards. Uh, but, but really it's important for everyone to have uh, traceability documentation so that they can share that in the event of a foreign animal disease 
The Pork Checkoff has created a, a tool for that, AgView, and you can go to agview.com and, and create an account at no additional charge uh, to be able to put your, your traceability data in there. Well, we appreciate the information from Chief Veterinarian of the National Pork Board, Dusty Odekoven. Right now, we're going to get an industry update from Jolene Reeson of the Iowa Corn Growers Association. There's a lot of conversation at Commodity Classic about the importance of carbon intensity scoring and increasing farmer participation. I have a Corn Growers Association, one of the leaders on the issue, according to President Jolene Reeson. So I had a study done here on my farm, and I'm actually a, a negative carbon emitter. And, and I managed to get to that point by a no-till. I use cover crops. I have a custom feed yard that we feed cattle in and I utilize that manure as part of my, as part of my fertility program. The ground is, is actually worked very little. Um, if we can no-till it, that's usually what we do. Always keeping in mind, you know, the soil erosion, carbon capture. We just try and do everything that we can to, number one, keep the soil on my farm, number two, to keep the fertilizer on my farm. She says lowering ethanol's carbon intensity score will be key to unlocking the sustainable aviation fuel market, and you can learn more at iowacorn.org. Oh, and we're now at the end of another episode of Iowa Ag Matters, uh, another great informational update we've gotten, and, and you know, really interesting stuff there on that those interviews you were doing with Dusty Odeco and getting that update on the on the swine health sector, Mark, uh, just really Good stuff that we are don't want to let go on the back burner too far. Yes, and it does make you feel very good that, you know, we have people working so hard behind the scenes doing this hard work to stay ahead of foreign animal disease and keep us prepared. You've been listening to Iowa Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Mark Magnuson. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network.